Fathers, listen. You should be the one getting yourself out of bed in the morning telling your family, we're going to church. Not your wife. It's not that mothers don't have that responsibility, but listen, dads, God has placed that responsibility in your lap as a leader of the home, and as a leader of the home, it is your responsibility to get up out of bed in the morning and say, we're going to church. I'm bringing my children to church. We're going to serve the Lord. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. like Mother's Day when I get the opportunity once a year to pick on you ladies, I get opportunity once a year to pick on you men. And so since I'm doing the preaching, it doesn't apply to me. It just applies to you. Amen. Amen. Fatherhood has been on the decline for many, many years. But there's never been a time in history, I believe, when fatherhood is so vital. And not just fathers, but godly fathers. And not just fathers in name, but fathers that are dads. Just because somebody has the physical capabilities of being a father doesn't mean they're a dad. And certainly doesn't mean that they are a godly dad. And so what our society and what our churches are missing So desperately are godly fathers. The U.S. Department of Health published online the following statistics of not only fatherless homes, but homes where there isn't a good father's influence. And they said in this article that a fatherless home attributes to 63% of youth suicides come from homes that do not have a godly father's influence. That same study stated that 90% of all homeless and runaway youths come from homes where there's not a godly father's influence. 85% of youths that have behavioral problems come from homes where there's not a godly father's influence. 71% of all high school dropouts come from homes where there's not a godly father's influence. 75% of all teenagers that are in drug rehabilitation centers are from homes that do not have a godly father's influence. 85% of youths that are in prison today come from homes that do not have a godly father's influence. 71% of teen pregnancies come from homes where there's not a godly father's influence. 80% of rapists come from homes where there's not a godly father's influence. And that's from a secular health study. There must be, church, in the home, the influence of not only a father but there must be the influence of a godly father. Because there are times when there may be a father in presence only, but it is just that, is presence only, but there's no influence for God. A father who just comes home and sits on the couch and has and gets the remote in his hand and just flips channels all night and has nothing or little to do with his children other than to yell at them in anger is not giving their child the godly influence that they need. When young people have anger issues, it is not so much that that child needs a psychiatrist, it is not so much that that child needs anger management, but perhaps it is that the father in the home needs to stop reacting to that child in anger, but in love. Fathers need to make sure that favoritism in the home is something that is not present. 
One of the catastrophes we learn from the children of Jacob is what favoritism does in the home. It is vital, church, that dads take their responsibility seriously. Failure to understand, as fathers, our place in the home is to really jeopardize the family, and as the family goes, so goes the church. I read an interesting article some time ago that I want to give to you by way of introduction. This article came across my desk or came across my email. Somebody sent it to me and wanted me to pay, att- wanted me to, uh, pay attention to these numbers. And this article said this, and this, this article is a few years old, few years old, so these articles may, these numbers may be a little bit different, but you get the idea. But I want, listen, church, I want you to listen to these numbers. This article said, again, this is from a secular statistical study, that there are right now presently in the United States 1,093,234 high school age football players in the United States. According to that same statistic, there is a 6.5% chance that that young man will go on and play college level football. That's about a little over 70,000 people out of 1 million. And of that 6.5% that will play college football, there's a 1.2% chance that they will go on to play professional sports. Now, just to give you a little bit of perspective on the real reality of those numbers, that means that according to the secular statistic, that 840, 840 out of 70,000 will go on to play professional sports. But just to put that number into greater perspective for you this morning, folks, listen to this. There is a 1.2% chance that your child will go on and play professional sports, but there is a 100% chance that your child will stand before God one day. There's a 100% chance of that. And so, dads, what is the priority? What should be the priority? Should our priority be concerned with our children excelling in the things of the world? Or should our priority be to make sure that our children excel in the things of God? As fathers, as head of the home, you need to assume the responsibility of your children and that responsibility must be taken seriously. Let me start out by way of introduction with you this morning, folks, with just a few simple facts. Fathers, listen to me. Fathers are to love their children. Amen? Fathers are to love their children. That goes without saying. Psalm 103, verse 13, the psalmist says, Like a father pitieth or loves his children, so the Lord loves or pitieth them that fear him. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21, Fathers, do not provoke your child to anger lest they be discouraged. Listen, church, not only are fathers to love their children, but fathers are to be loyal to their children. And part of that loyalty, church, is proper discipline. We live in a day when corporal, when proper corporal discipline is denied by the as popular and as proper even among those people in the church. Many families, even in the church, have forsaken the biblical practice of discipline of the children and have embraced the secular notion of what is called gentle parenting. Gentle parenting? When the Bible, when the biblical is replaced with the secular church, that never works. God lays out for us in His Word the proper way of disciplining the children and the notion can be you cannot improve on what the Bible says. Someone said to me one time, I must have made them really ugly at me. I know y'all can't imagine. But somebody said to me one time, well, Pastor, I don't think that it's anyone's business how I discipline my child least of all, yours. And I said, I agree with you. I said, but the ironic thing about that is, is why you're telling me that, it's, that I'm not to tell you how to raise your children. I'm just giving you what the Bible says. You're letting an entire society tell you how to raise your children. 
So while you're telling me that it's none of my business, you're letting a secular, ungodly world tell you how to do it. When so many families allow the world to make decisions for them, especially when those things are contrary to Scripture, it is absolutely dangerous. I don't need to give you advice on how to discipline your children, do I? The Bible has already spoken on that. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 24, the Bible says, He that spareth his rod, what? Hateth his son. But he that loveth him, chasteneth him many times. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 12, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. And my father's life verse, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. In Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 13, withhold not correction from the child, for it, here's a word that's popular in our society today, for if thou beatest him with a rod, uh uh-oh, he shall not die. And in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15, the rod and reproof give what, church? Wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother's shame. What is, a, what is a depiction, folks, of a child left to himself? The depiction of a child left to himself is a child at five years old that's put in front of a television to watch videos all day or to put in front of a game console to play games all day so that mom and dad don't have to be mom and dad. And then we wonder why our children are raised or are brought up and they can't think for themselves. They let entertainment think for them. Fathers, you need to love your children. And you need to be loyal to your children. And being loyal to your children, sometimes did you look at your child and you say what? That nasty two-letter word that no child wants to hear and so many parents don't want to say, no. Or as I like to say, I don't think so, Tim. Fathers also need to lead their children. And that brings us to our text today. A dad in whom God, a dad in whom heaven is pleased is a dad that leads his family. And our text this morning breaks that leadership down into four main headings. Now these commands given directly to the nation of Israel as a reminder and a command of how to raise their children and certainly have application for the church today and how we are to be reminded as fathers particularly of how we are to equip our children to better serve God. Listen folks, I don't care what your child may grow up to do. I don't care how successful your child may grow up to be, and there's nothing wrong with being successful. There's not a thing wrong. Don't misunderstand me. There's not a thing wrong with being successful, and there's not a thing wrong with having money if God so blesses you. There's not a thing in the world wrong with that. But the number one issue on the heart of a father is not whether or not my child grows up to be a president or CEO of a company, a Fortune 500 company, Not that my child grows up to become independently wealthy, but the number one thing on my mind and my heart as a dad is that my child grows up to love and serve Christ. That's number one. That should be the passion. That should be the goal of every father that I want my children to serve the Lord. And let me tell you something, moms and dads. Let me tell you something that you already know. Your 12-year-old don't have sense enough to decide whether or not they want to serve the Lord. you got to make them serve the Lord until they're older and they make that decision for themselves. Because I can tell you at 11 years old what decision they're going to make. What decision are they going to make? Not to. Not to. Because it's a, it's, a, it's a medical fact. Their brains aren't developed yet. That's why they've got moms and dads. Make those decisions for them. Listen. I was talking to uh, Autumn again at the end of the school year, and she was talking. We were going through her wisdom packs that she had to, and her other, one, her last wisdom pack was on uh, dating and marriage and all of that. 
And one of the answers as she came up in, she came up in their pace, and uh, you don't mind if I say it, you're too late now, don't stop me now. One of the answers as she came up in that pace was, is that she wants a husband that has such a relationship with God, and you correct me if I'm wrong later, that has such a relationship to God that she doesn't want to have to be the one to get up in the morning saying, let's go to church. Fathers, listen, you should be the one getting yourself out of bed in the morning telling your family, we're going to church. Not your wife. Not your wife. Not your wife. Listen, it's not that the wife doesn't have that responsibility as well. You can go back on, online and hear my Mother's Day sermon. It's not that mothers don't have that responsibility. But listen, dads, God has placed that responsibility in your lap as a leader of the home. And as a leader of the home, it is your responsibility to get up out of bed in the morning and say, we're going to church. I'm bringing my children to church. We're going to serve the Lord. Dads, we need to take that responsibility seriously. Number one. Let's look at this. We look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's look at the person of the command. The nature and importance of all commands is to understand who is giving the command. And Moses begins by describing to the nation what the Lord is saying to them, and he describes it in these words. Look at verse 1. Now these are the what? Stop right there. Moses begins by saying to them what he is about to tell them about the command. The Hebrew word here for command speaks about an order, speaks about a prescription. This church is an order given to Israel and particularly to the men. Here are the orders that they need to hear. And listen, men, these are not divine suggestions. These are not even divine good ideas. These are not divine best options. These are not the things given if there are no other options. God says, this is the order. This is the instruction. This is the boundaries by which you should live. These are the words spoken by the voice of authority. And there is no other option here, dads. What Moses, what God through Moses is about to tell this nation, there is no option, fathers. These are not just the best ideas. These are the commandments. But not only does he say commandments, but he also says what? These are the statutes. Stop right there. That could be understood as the laws. These are commandments, not just for a particular period of time. These are commandments. These are orders, not just for, not just as an appointed period. These are established. These are not dad's short-time rules. These are appointed. These are settled. These are firm orders, not just to be obeyed now, but to live by these laws the rest of your life. And then he says in verse 1 again, the what? Stop right there. Are 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 you getting in a rut here? This word is understood as justice. And not just dealing with the attributes of justice, but also dealing with the litigation of judgment. In other words, these are not just orders that are involved here, but and woven into these is not just the longevity of those rules, but woven into these, listen church, is the blessing for obeying and a judgment for disobeying. That's what he means by judgments. These are what he's about to give. These are the rules for life. Men, these are the rules for life, a blessing to obey and a curse to disobey. Verse 1 again, which the Lord, your God. Stop right there. These are the boundaries, men. These are the rules. And these rules must be obeyed for a lifetime. And obeying these rules will bring a blessing. Disobeying these rules will bring a cursing. And get this, church. Look at verse 1 again. These are from whom? The Lord, your God. I want you to note the name that the Spirit of God inspired Moses to use in verse 1. The Lord. 
We talk about sometimes when we say that, that because we've been taught to believe this way, that God is the name of the one we worship. But that's not the case. The one and only true deity does not go by the name God. That's not his proper name. The proper name for our God, the true one and only deity, is Yahweh. And that is generally depicted in most English translations by the capitalization of the word Lord. The name Yahweh, as it is transliterated, is known as the Tetragrammaton. It's four Hebrew consonants, the Y, the H, the W, and the H. And the name Yahweh means the self-existent one. The first place where this word is used is in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14 when God asked Moses, well, who should I say tell Pharaoh and the people of Egypt who sent me? What did God say to Moses? I am that I am. And the title I am is the name Yahweh, the self-existent one. By that proper name, we understand the fact that the one and the only true God needs no other thing, needs no other one in order to exist. He, exi- he has existed for all times and exi- has existed for all times without the need or the power of anyone or anything else. The name also speaks of God's eternal and unchanging nature. And listen, men, this is the one who has given us the commands. We better listen. We better listen. You can ignore me. I got a big mouth, but you can ignore me. But you better not ignore God. That's who's given the commands. The self-existent God. And just a side note, interestingly enough, when you get to the New Testament, Christ uses the same combination of words that God used for himself in Exodus to describe himself. All of the I am passages in the New Testament and the Gospels refers back to this proper name of God. And so Jesus Christ is calling himself the self-existing one. He too is the God that always was and always will be. And keep that in mind, folks. That's a prerequisite for being God. God can't be created. Only God can be uncreated. The true, living, only true God is self-existent and eternal. But notice the word in Deuteronomy 6.1, God. The Lord, your God. The Yahweh El Elohim. This was the God of the people of Israel. Not only was he known as Yahweh, the self-existent God, but the word God there is plural in Hebrew, and plural is speaking about the entire Godhead. So it's very likely that the command that Moses is giving is speaking on behalf of all three self-existent members of the Godhead. So not only, men, do you and I face a commandment today given to us by the Father, but you and I today face a commandment given to us by the Son, and given to us by the Holy Spirit, all three persons, co-eternal and co-equal, making up the Godhead, the self-existent, all-powerful, all-wise, sovereign God. We better listen. We better listen. Look back in verse 1. That the Lord your God commanded you to teach you that ye might do them in the land whithersoever ye go to possess it. These commands that Moses is about to give or God is about to give through Moses were for, were for a life. To, verse 1 again, to teach you that ye might do them in the land whether you go to possess it. Folks, listen. Commands are to be taught. Commands are to be taught. Dads, you have to teach your children to love and obey God. They will not learn it on their own. Will they? Oh, they'll learn plenty. They'll learn plenty from the world. But they will not learn from the world to love God. Dads, you need to teach your kids to love God. And the best way for you to teach your kids to love God is for them to see you loving God yourself. If you disobey the commandment of God, then you are teaching your child to disobey the commandment of God. Your kids will not learn to love God and obey God through osmosis. 
Your children are like sponges. And they'll learn. And they'll pick up some things. But I don't know that you want your kids to pick up some of the things that the world will try to teach them. Dads, teach your kids to love God. Not because I said it. But because of all three members of the Godhead said it. Teach your kids to love God. In order for your children to know the difference between right and wrong, they have to be taught the difference between right and wrong. And even though teaching them right and wrong does not guarantee that your children will grow up and follow that which is right because stamped in every child is a sinful humanity that's already in them from conception. But I will say this, dads, to not teach your children the difference between right and wrong or to teach your child to compromise will certainly decrease the chances that your child will grow up to live a righteous life. That is why the commands must be taught. The person of the command is the one and only self-existent Godhead. The one who rules and reigns and has the right and the power to command. That is the person of the command. Number two, the profoundness of the command. The profoundness of the command. For my purposes this morning in this message, I'm not going to be covering every aspect, but I'm just going to kind of be highlighting time does not permit me to do that, so I'm not going to do that this morning. But look at verse 2. That, stop right there. Now just like in Greek, the word that gives us, it's a purpose clause. The purpose, church, listen, the purpose for which God has given this command to Moses and to the nation is what, church? Verse 2, look at it again. For this purpose, thou mightest fear the Lord thy God. When we obey, dads, when we obey the commandments of God, we show our children that we fear the Lord. And fear here is not scared, but fear here is the fear of respect. It is the fear of honor. It is the desire to obey. Notice what else the passage says in verse 2. To keep all His statutes and His commandments. You see the progression of the text? The commandments, the statutes, and the judgments are given Verse 1, for this purpose, verse 2, that they may respect, honor, or fear the Lord. And here's how you show your honor or fear or respect for the Lord is by obeying all His commandments and statutes. How do you show that you fear the Lord, dads? How do you show your little girl? How do you show your little boy? How do you show your teenage daughter? How do you show your teenage boy that you love and honor and respect God? By obeying His commandments. That's how. Let me ask you a question today, dads. How are we doing at honoring and fearing and respecting Yahweh? By obeying His commandments. Because church, listen, that's where it all begins. If dads are not the first ones in the home to obey the commandments of God, the home is never a complete unit. Dads must take their place in upholding God's Word and obeying God's Word no matter what anybody else does. Because listen, it doesn't matter what your child may do in life. If your child does not grow up to love, honor, and serve, and fear God, it is your fault if you didn't teach them to do it. Because they saw in you disobedience and compromise. And when that family unit is not complete, it generally produces a rebellious child because a child, listen dads, a child would rather see a father who never obeyed God than a father who was half-hearted and vacillating, you know, going back and forth in his commitment to Christ. Because if a father never obeyed, then it's probable that he's not born again. But if he's on again, off again, then the child sees nothing in the world but hypocrisy. And if the child sees nothing in the world but hypocrisy, then to them Christianity is a sham and produces nothing but hypocrites. That is why obedience must begin at the level of the Father. Now, it is not that the home is an incomplete unit and it can't be a godly home if there's only a godly mother because godly homes 
led by godly mothers, certainly have produced godly children. Young, the young disciple of Paul, Timothy, is certainly an example of a godly mother and grandmother. His dad was an ungodly Greek, but his mother and his grandmother were godly women. But in the Christian home, folks, listen to me, in the Christian home, that should be the exception and not the norm. That should not be the norm. If you've got a mom and dad that attend church, it should not be the mom who's more godly than the dad. That's backwards. That's backwards. It should never be the norm of a, of a Christian home to have a father who does not stand for truth. And it should not be the norm for the Christian home to have a father who is, who, uh, who is not living in consistent obedience to the commandment of Scripture. It should never be the norm in the Christian home where the father consistently teaches his children that obedience to Christ is subjective. It should never be the norm in a Christian home where a father teaches his child where obedience to God is relative. And we teach our children that obedience to Christ is subjective and relative when we put all kinds of other things in front of serving Christ. Dads, when you put other things in front of serving Christ, when you put other things in front of your obedience to Christ, you teach your child that obedience to Christ is relative. And when a father is obedient at one time and then rebellious to another child, the only thing, at another time, the only thing the child sees is that everything comes in place of God and the family unit is not complete and causes great harm to the child. But notice what he says in verse 2. Here's the profoundness of it. Thou and thy sons and thy sons' son. Listen, dads, you and I need to recognize the fact that obedience or disobedience is multigenerational. It literally says you your sons and your grandsons. Listen, dads, when you teach, you teach to a multi-generational amount of people. That is why, dads, it is so important that you and I set the bar high. Because what you teach, whether good or bad, will be taught all the way down to your grandsons. And really, there's no reason to think that it wouldn't go any farther than that. In Psalm chapter 78, verse 4 we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make known, make them known to their children, that the generation to come might what? Know them. Even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them unto their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Dad, you remember Lot? Remember Lot in Genesis chapter 19, the angel came to destroy the twin cities of Saul and Gomorrah because of their homosexuality and other sins? Lot received the warning from the angel that, listen, Lot, judgment's coming. Get your family out. And what was their children's response? In Genesis chapter 19, verse 4, they seemed as one that what? Mocked him. Dad, let me ask you a question. Do you walk in such obedience to Christ do you walk in such obedience to the Word of God that when you look at your family and say, God has said, your kids say, yeah. Or do your kids say, yeah, right. Yeah, right. That's what they did with Lot. Really, Lot, you want us to believe God spoke to you? A man who lives in total disobedience to God's law? You want us to think that God spoke to you? Give me a big break. And then what happened to his kids? His kids died in the tragedy of Sodom and Gomorrah. Dads, we need to take this stuff seriously. We need to take it seriously. Anybody can be a father. But the Bible's looking for dads. Godly dads. That's the profoundness of the command. It's that obedience or disobedience is not just affecting you. It is affecting all the way down to your grandchildren and future generations. I pray for every father in Emmanuel Baptist Church that we would be lights to future generations. Starting with my five. I've got four married, 
and out of the home. I got one available. Zigzag1102 at gmail.com. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding about the available part, am I? But I want to be a light to future generations. And I want my boys to be lights to future generations. That thy days, look at verse 2 again, that thy days may be prolonged on the earth. Now, here's not a reference to a long life as far as years are concerned. It's a reference to an abundant life. It's a reference to an abundant life. There's one way that you can get the promise of a long, prosperous spiritual life, and that is to live in obedience to the commandments of God that are taught to your sons, who in turn teaches it to their sons, who teaches it to their sons, who teaches it to their sons. That's how this thing should work. Godly dad teaches their sons and their daughters to be godly. Godly dad teaches their children to be, teaches their men to be gentlemen. Right? Teach your boys to be gentlemen. You get the door for the girl or the lady. Right? Well, if I ever saw one of my boys, our boys, not get the door for their, their significant other, they got a swift kick upside the head because my boys will get the door and will get the chair for a young lady. My boys will stand, generally speaking, unless they're eating. My boys will stand when a lady enters or exits the room, especially if they're dating them. My boys get the door for ladies. Because I believe that it was important that I teach my boys not only to be godly, but to be gentlemen. And when you teach your young boy to be a gentleman, you also teach your young boy to guard that girl's purity. A boy that looks at a girl and says, if you love me, you will, ought to be jack-smacked upside his head with a rock. And that boy wasn't taught how to be a gentleman and protect a young lady's purity. Y'all got me on something now. You teach it to your sons who teaches it to their sons. We see the person of the command. We see the profoundness of the command. Number three, we see the premise of the command. And this is where all obedience begins. And that is that the knowledge of the true and living, what is the knowledge and the true and living God? When Christ was asked in the gospel of Mark, what was the greatest commandment? What did he quote? He quoted this passage, for, uh, that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. Dads, that's the number one thing you need to be teaching your kids, to love the Lord your God with all your hearts, mind, soul, and strength. Dad, you'll never be able to obey the one living and true God if you don't first know him. Know him salvifically. And know him experientially. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. One unit. It's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, that says that a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. The word cleave there literally means to be glued together. My wife and I are glued together. Sometimes she's looking for some solvent, but we are glued together. This depends on how I act. But because we're glued together, we're one flesh, we are one unit. You can't separate the Godhead. And you can't separate a husband and wife. Right now, you and Kevin are one. Are you glad for that this morning? Watch it. You're one unit. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. That's the, premise of, that's the premise of it all, dads, is to know God. To know the Lord our God is one Lord. Fathers, we need to stop blaming the world. We need to stop blaming the world. Does the world make the life of a believer difficult? Yes. Does the world put things in our paths that sometimes test our dedication? Yes. But what good does it do for dad to sit back and say, well, they did this and they did that? Listen, Dad, the world will do what the world does. What's the, what's the one thing a dead sinner can do? 
stink. And that means that what the things that the world's, world does stinks. But that the world has no bearing on the actions of the man of God. I don't care what the world does. The man of God stands erect. He stands planted. He stands firm. I will not move. My family will not move. My kids, will, I will teach my children to serve the Lord. I will teach my children that God comes first. And I will not be moved. Will you be popular? No. I'm not, but I'm not worried about being popular to man. I'm worried about being obedient to Christ. That's all should be your concern, dads. Your problem today is not the world. Our problem today is not the world. Our problem is us. That's our problem. Because we don't take our responsibility as seriously as we should. James got up here and said, that I kicked myself with my failures. And he said he don't remember them. He doesn't, far proper improper grammar, he does not remember them. Well, I do. I do. I remember the times blowing it as a dad. I remember the times as a dad disciplining my children more out of anger and frustration than I did out of love. Now, I never told my child it's going to hurt me more than it hurts you because that was a lie. Don't tell your kids that. That's a lie because it's not going to hurt you more than them. It's going to hurt them a whole lot worse than it hurts you, especially at that moment. Don't lie. But there were many times that I, that I dealt with my children more out of anger than I did out of love, and I regret every time. There were many, many times in my Christian life where I wasn't as faithful in my heart as I should have been. And I regret every one of those times. And the only thing that I can pray now is that God, where I failed as a dad, may I be successful as a granddad. And where I have failed as a dad when they lived in my home, may I be successful in training them and teaching them now that they're out on their own. Because I want my five boys to love and serve Christ more than anything. I don't care how many arrests my three older boys make. I don't care how many sermons James preaches. I don't care how many beautiful videos Wichita over there makes for the church. I care about one thing. And one thing only. My boys serve and love Jesus Christ. And they honor Him with their life. <clears throat> Failure, dads, to teach our children about God and to teach our children to put God first is the number one failure of most dads in the church today. Because we think that by bringing, that just bringing our kids and letting them, making them sit in the pew is all that's required. And we can go out here and we can compromise and we can live like the world all we want as long as we bring them back to church Sunday morning and make them sit in the pew and listen to the big mouth preacher preach. But listen, church, I'm here to tell you, that is not enough. The only thing that's going to produce in your child is a root of bitterness that is going to lead to spiritual catastrophe. Your kids and my kids need to see us live out there what we proclaim in word and in song in here. That's when we have successful Christian homes. And that's when we have dads that can stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, by your grace, I raise godly children. Number four, and I'm done. The particulars of the command. It is a self-existent, the eternal God that is the person of the command and the command, whether we obey them or not, have profound results. And the results are multi-generational that will be affected by our actions. And with that understood, God gives to the nation the particulars of these commands. Number one, it is a particular love. Dads, again, teach your children to love God with everything that is in them. I can't tell you how many times I had my boys come up to me and say, listen, Dad, I don't understand why this person did this or why this person did that. I said, and, I, and I tried to teach my boys. It doesn't matter what they did. You keep your eyes on Christ. You keep your eyes on your run. You keep your eyes on your race. You keep your eyes on your prize. 
Because other people will fail. But he never will. Teach your kids to love God. And the way that you teach them to love like that is to show them that nothing comes before him. Our children will learn total love for God when they see total commitment from dads. Children will learn total love for God when they see total commitment from dads. Dad, how do we measure up on this? I'm probably like you. There have been many times I, have, I must confess I, didn't, I don't measure up. Many of us would have to say admittedly that we don't love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength the way we should. And how do we express our love for God? You express your love for God, church men, by the level of your obedience to Him. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to do what? Fear the Lord thy God, to walk in His ways. What did he say? What does he require of thee? Not suggest. What does he require of thee? That you fear God, that you walk in his ways, that you love him, and that you serve him with all of your heart and soul. That's the requirement, church. That's what God says is the requirement, not the option. If the sun is shining or nothing else is happening, that is the requirement all the time. To fear him, to walk in his ways, to love him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1, Therefore thou shalt love the Lord thy God and keep his charge and his statutes and his judgments and his commandments. How often? Always. Deuteronomy 19, 9, If thou shalt keep these commandments to do them, which I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God and to walk ever in his ways, then shalt thou add three cities more for thee besides these three. What was the requirement? To walk in his ways, to keep his judgments, to keep his statutes. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 16, In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whithersoever thou goest to possess it. Listen, men, we are to love God completely, wholeheartedly, and without reservation. And this love includes not just emotion, it includes the will, and it includes the intellect. Verse 5, And thou shalt love the Lord God thy God with all thine heart. That's the requirement. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And what does he say? That's the intellect. And with all thy soul. That's the emotion. All of the activities of our mind, we're to love God. All the emotions of our heart, we're to love God. And while emotions are a gift from God, they can deceive us and make knowing God's will difficult for us, but our emotions must be under His control. And then verse 5, with all thy might. Verse 6, these words which I commanded this day shall be in thine heart. Now, number two, lastly, a particular lesson. It's not, only, uh, it's not only a peculiar love, but it's a particular lesson. Very simply, God lays us out. How often are we to do this to our children? How often, men, are we to train our children? Just on Sunday morning? Just on Saturday nights? How often are we to do this? Verse 7. And thou shalt teach them how? What's the adverb there? Diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when? When you sit, when you sit in your house. When thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down and when thou risest up, how often is that? All the time. Dads, you are to be teaching your children to love God all the time. There's not, there's not one time in your life where you're not doing one of those four actions. You're to teach your children to love God all the time. Verse 8, And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. You, you all have probably heard in our studies of John, you probably heard of phylacteries. The phylacteries were boxes that the Jews would wear on their foreheads, and they were little wooden boxes that carried verses in them. They were called phylacteries. Dads, what does God say? What does God require of you, Dad? You are to carry the Word of God between your eyes. Not literally, but you are to know the Word of God so well. that it's like the Word of God is a third eye. 
when your child comes up and has a question, you just know where to go. Not that you know every single verse. That's not what he's saying. But you and I must be familiar with what God teaches so that we can teach it to the younger generation. And the Word of God should so soak our hearts that it saturates our minds. You know, dads, I'm afraid that a lot of us as dads can saturate a lot of things, but the Word of God isn't one of them. We need to be dads that whose minds have been saturated by the Word of God. How are you doing, Dad? How are you doing? Verse 9, And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Dad's never in a time, never in a place has the commandments of God been more clear. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which thou hast heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Dads, it's a tall order. It's a tall order. We have the responsibility before God to raise godly children that know and love Him. We have the responsibility before God to raise children to love God with all their hearts and with all their minds and with all their strength. And we are to teach them the commandments of the Lord their God continually. Sometimes we put a lot of things in our lives and and in the lives of our children to get their focus off of serving the Lord. Shame on us. Shame on us. When we allow the practices and the things of the world to cause, cause us to get our minds off the things of God. Dad, what is a dad in which heaven is pleased? We all want to be. But the question is, are you? Are you a dad in whom heaven is pleased? Do you teach your kids to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength? Do you teach it at all times? It is a tall order, and it can only be accomplished by the grace of God. Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.